You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning once again. As we, as we hear different kids in this room, young kids, babies, I'm glad you're here. Just hear that from here. If there's noises, let them ring. It's okay. Just you're hearing that from here. I'll, it's good practice for me. I just don't, I love that, that we are here to hear those sounds of young ones in our place is wonderful. So parents with young kids, and that's me again and whatever, but so I'm saying this for Hannah and for others, but let them scream. It's okay, you know, and we'll, uh, we're just, we're glad you're here in part and we can, we can worship and look through the word of God together. So anyway, just want to say that once again to that you know that. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 9. We're halfway through this, this guy named Abimelech. Abimelech that we've been looking at. Judges 9, if you want to look at verse 22 is where we're going to start. A little bit longer passage um, this morning. On your way there, I had one picture from last week. Molly had to make up for a lot of people gone, right? So Molly, thank you for this. This is Molly's picture from last week. We talked about in the end of Joshua 24 that the people there ought to serve the Lord. And they said, well, we'll serve the Lord at this place of Shechem. And by where we were at in Judges 9, we're back at Shechem and the people are not serving the Lord. And Molly pictured that, them up top saying, we'll serve the Lord. And then later, now they're worshiping an idol. And there they are. And that, that corrupt heart goes astray. Thank you, Molly, for doing that. I appreciate that. So... Well, hopefully by this time you're at Judges chapter 9, verse 22. I'm going to read, I'm going to just going to read the whole account, and then we're going to come back and just kind of, kind of look at the highlights of it, um, not necessarily verse by verse, but just try to kind of, kind of put it together at least in three different segments here for our time. But let's let's put God's word first and hear from from the Lord. So this is what He says in Judges 9, 22, then through 57. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbabel might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Abed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. And the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. They went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubal? And is not Zabel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. 
When Zabel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Abed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Abed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then, in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. Verse 34, So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal the son of Abed went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zabel, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zabel said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zabel said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Erumah, and Zabel drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and, he, and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El-Berit. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry, do, do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped, encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. 
And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Let's pray again. Lord, there is much here and much to cover. And I would just pray now as we look over your holy word, we thank you once again for it. And we pray that you would use this time for us to understand it, to apply it to our lives. Lord, would you guide me to speak with clarity today that we would go out from here challenged in our lives with you looking at this case in point of judgment and and destruction and where sin leads to. Lord, guide our time by your Spirit again amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 145.20 says, The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. For those wondering, if the Lord, if you're wondering, will the Lord ever deal with wicked ones and repay them for evil? Or maybe you're thinking perhaps you feel like God, He's just too loving to punish sin and in the end He's just going to overlook sin. We have before us in Judges 9 what we just read. It's a powerful illustration. It's a real account. So I'm using illustration like what we're going to see here is powerful, vivid to show us this judgment of God. Evil men will face God's judgment. I want to break up. I know this is a, it's a longer passage to read. I'm going to break it up in, in three parts. Maybe you could call them three points to take away. Here's what they are, and then we'll just kind of try to look at each, each of these sections. Number one, we're going to look at verses 22 through 24, that God's judgment is initiated in or by His sovereign way. God's judgment is initiated by His sovereign way. Something to grab onto there. Number two, we'll look the bulk of it, all those stories and the, the stones and the fields on fire, all these, not fields on fire, right? Towers on fire, all these things. We're going to look at number two, that God's judgment brings a bonfire of destruction. God's judgment brings this bonfire of destruction in 25 through 55 verses. And then, then the third one, so God's judgment brings a bonfire of destruction. Then number three, will close with God's judgment will be as He said, or He will complete it as He said. God's judgment will be as He has spoken, as He has said in just those last couple verses. So rather than trying to read verse by verse, and you're like, wow, we're going to be here till 5 o'clock tonight, uh, try not to, but, but try to gather some of what's here. Just try to overview what we have before us. So let's look at this first part, just verses 22 through 24, that, that God's judgment is initiated by His sovereign way. Let me try to point out what, where I'm getting that from. What, what, what about God's sovereignty is right here in the midst of His judgment? Look at verse 22 and how long Abimelech ruled. He ruled for three years. You see that in verse 22. 
one commentary, I can't remember where it was, pointed out these, these three years of Abimelech's ruling. We think of Jotham's curse back in verse 20. You know, fire's going to come out from Abimelech, and fire's going to come out from Shechem, and, and there's a curse going on. This won't go well for you. And that appears to be three years ago. That This curse doesn't come right away. It's three years later, seemingly. Perhaps it looked like to Jotham, maybe others who heard him, Abimelech, he got away with it. He murdered his brothers, and yeah, God said there was a curse. We don't see it happening. But God's timing was not late, even though it looked late. It was right on time. God is sovereign over the timing of his judgment. But his judgment also comes, this is interesting, if it caught your eye in verse 23, it comes via an evil spirit. God sends an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. You might ask here, should it concern us, you, that God would use an evil spirit between two parties? Does this imply that God is somehow, I thought he was good, is he using evil? It's kind of wreck our world. No, it doesn't imply God is evil. God has only good and right intentions, yet evil, too, can be used for good, for His glory, for His intentions. In this case, the good here is God's holy judgment. And His avenging the blood of all of Gideon's drubbables, all His sons, He's avenging that blood. That's a good thing from God. His judgment is good. It also tells us that this evil is it's not some cosmic conflict, kind of like the force. You've got the, the dark side and the, is it the light, right? Or good side, I can't remember now. But, you know, like we've got to have this balance of the force. There's no balance. God rules over all. Everything is on a leash. Evil, even itself, is not free. It's tethered. And this can be challenging to us. Whoa, evil's tethered by, by God? We remember he's, a, he's tethered by a good and righteous God. And so Satan, evil, cannot do anything but by the sovereign direction of the Lord and his permission. Which maybe brings up some other questions. And we're, we're like, how does that, I don't, how does that work? So in, in one sense, we can ask those and sort it out through Scripture. But what we start with, we just we hold to what Scripture says. So what does Scripture say? God never acts unrighteously. He doesn't use evil in an evil way. He acts righteously. He is holy. He is always just. And yet here, God sends this evil spirit between these two parties. Remember Job. God says to Satan with Job, you may harm Job, but spare his life. Satan's on, I'm borrowing a phrase from John Piper, Satan's on a, on a leash, so to say. So to go further than this, for our minds to get around this, is to search things that are really unsearchable. Romans 11.33 might be helpful to us. How does he eat? How does this all? It's good. It says there, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Knowledge, we don't have all of that knowledge. It says, How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. God is sovereign in His judgments, even to use evil to accomplish His good and righteous purposes that we're seeing here. 
And then as I mentioned, verse 24, God is avenging. He is avenging the violence to Gideon's house. He's going to avenge the evil done to these sons of Gideon. And we see God's heart, Deuteronomy 32, verse 43 says this, his, his heart to avenge the blood of his children. Deuteronomy 32, 43 says, Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. We see God's vengeance on display before us right here. After each of these sections, I want to just, a word of application, how do we respond to this? That God's judgment is, is by His sovereign way here. One, we can rest in the sovereign hand of God to deal with evil in His time and in His way. 1 Peter 4, 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Nothing, no evil, no evil in our culture, wickedness. It's like, Lord, did you see that? Yes, He sees it. And He will deal with it in His time. Can, can we then, can we entrust our souls to our Creator while we do good? Trust Him to deal with evil according to His plan and His timing. If it's three years or ten or whatever it is. So God's judgment is initiated by His sovereign ways. Then we get to this, this big part. Verse 25 all the way to verse 55. Again, just long section. Just going to summarize it um, with maybe one, eight or nine points. They're not very long, but just to try to kind of work through this. Because there's a lot going on in here to try to think through it. But kind of over it, we just say God's judgment brings a bonfire of destruction. If you look at all this, there's just bonfires going on of just ambushes here, fires here, all that sort of thing. That's what we see. I'll be interested what pictures come in from today and what, what you guys are seeing in the text, kids. But we've got an illustration here. There's, there's, a, there's a fire going on, really. You've seen a bonfire, big piles of wood. Jotham had spoken, I referred to verse 20, where he said fire would come out of Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and this Beth Milo. And then he said, let fire come out of the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. I think throughout here, we're going to see fire come out in a variety of ways. Yes, there is, there's literally fire from Abimelech that's coming out to start this tower, but there's also fires, not so literal, but just fires of destruction going on as well. I've got one question before we get to the bulk of this whole this whole section is to ask this question, why is there so much detail here? There's a lot here of just ambushes and killings and fields and flings and all this sorts of why so much? You know, you've got Abimelech here. There's a lot on Abimelech who was who was acting as a, a judge but not like the other judges, so I don't think he was in place by God's design to be a, a judge, I mean, God, by God's will, but not a judge like the others. We're going to get to next week this Tola and Jair. They've got maybe a verse or two with them. Remember Shamgar? He got one verse. These judges get little verse. Abimelech's got this whole thing. Why, why the difference here? There's a statement 
that I love to quote and remember. I wrote it down because sometimes I won't remember up here. But maybe you've heard me say it before. Good judgment comes from experience. Maybe you've heard this before. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from poor judgment or bad judgment. You get experience and you get good judgment from that. Where does that experience come? usually comes from poor judgment or bad judgment. And there is bad judgment all over chapter 9. Could it be here, we've got an elaborate, a long account of Abimelech's misdeeds and, and all of this really part of a lesson of teaching, teaching to the reader, a lesson for the one reading this. What's the lesson? This is what happens when people abandon the Lord. You want a case in point? Abandon the Lord. This is what it looks like. And it looks, just, it looks like a mess and a bonfire of destruction. So perhaps there's a, there's a teaching here. None that we see are seeking the glory of the Lord. They've turned aside. And there's punishment and there's judgment of the Lord coming upon them. Their own evil brought this mess of destruction. And the, the reader in, in the day here and the reader for us, we ought to learn from that and see it. So, let's just simply point out the highlights as we go through this section. Look at this bonfire going on in the midst of God's judgment. The first verses, kind of got them in sections, verses 25 through 29. I'll kind of, kind of chunk it up in the paragraphs that are here. Perhaps Abimelech thought Shechem was going to be faithful. You know, they're his own relatives anyway. But what do we find them doing? Remember that we read Shechem turns on him and they foolishly just put their confidence in the next guy that comes along. Abimelech, yeah, he was good. We're done with him. Gaal, okay, we'll take you. It's just foolishness. But they keep going. Verse 27, they've got a festival, the grape harvest. There's a festival going on, but instead of this festival, the feast to honor Yahweh, the Lord who provides all their harvest that they take in, what do they do? They go to the house of God. They eat and they drink and they revile Abimelech. And little did they know that evening that it would be one of their last meals. And you saw Gaal's words in verses 28 and 29. This questioning, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? And so there's this question. It, you know, almost like almost what Abimelech did to the people of Shechem, Gaal does. What wouldn't it be better if you had me? I, I would look at what I would do, which makes his response later on quite comical. Look at what I would do. Okay. Well then verse 30. 30 through 33, Abimelech hears. There's a rebellion going on, and he hears it through Zabel, his officer in Shechem. And there's, there's this revolt going on, and so they begin, Zebel helps them plan the retaliation. They're going to move by night. They're going to ambush the city. They're going to deal with Gaal. And you, can, you can just visualize, again, what we know that the text tells us, God's evil spirit working in Shechem, despising Abimelech, stirring up Gaal, doing all this, and in the meanwhile, stirring up Abimelech and stirring this up to where there's just bonfire going on of destruction. Well, the next morning, as you look on to verse 34 and then through 41, the next morning, 
the scene shifts back to the city of Shechem, and actually Gaal is out standing in the city gate. So if you can picture kind of maybe a, a field out in front of this gate, that's how I see it in my mind. Here's Gaal at the gate. Here's what Dale Davis writes, kind of humorously. He says, one can almost see it. Gaal arrives about 6 o'clock at the city gate, munching on his donut, sipping his coffee from the convenience store. I just love how this guy writes sometimes. Here, you, Can't you see him just early morning, you know? He's got his mug of coffee, whatever it was, just looking out into the field. And, and all of a sudden, he's starting, to, he's starting to see things. sees things that are going on. And this ambush of Abimelech is coming upon Gaal. And it would seem that the mouth that had just reviled Abimelech the night before was kind of, maybe it was something like, what is, there's people coming. I get that sense because Zabel, who happens to be next to him, so Zabel's, I guess, on Abimelech's side, but he's with Gaal, says, you know, he really challenges him. Where's your mouth now? Kind of like, you're a big talker last night. Where did that go? Come on, go, go fight them. Oh, you know, would the, the army would be with me. Kind of challenges him. And so the battle ensues. Where does Gaal go? He is not dying on the battlefield He's fleeing. He's out of there. He flees. Many fall wounded. And Zabel, essentially, he rids the city of Gaul and his men. But that was just day one because in verses 42 and then through 45, Abimelech comes and he just destroys all of Shechem. That's what we've got the following day. This destruction continues. Abimelech comes in an ambush again. He maneuvers his men in such a way it seems like the people come out of the city to the fields. I don't know if they were going out to work. I don't, I don't know what was going on. There's probably more study that could be done with that. But the people come out of the gate, people of Shechem, and Abimelech's got these companies, and they come in. And Abimelech like hurries to kind of, I picture him sealing off the city gate, and now the people are just stuck. They're out in the field, and the two companies of men just come towards them. And many die and they are killed in the field he cuts off their escape do look at verse 45 then it says and abimelech fought against the city all that day he captured the city and killed the people who were in it and he he raised the city not raised it up he raised like leveled it and he sowed it with salt now this idea of salt, there's more than one idea on what this means. I'm not clear on what it means. I'll just take, I, I think it's kind of a symbolic action, but it, but it could, I mean, it could be, when I first read it, you think I mean, he's sowing salt, maybe that makes the ground, you know, infertile. That's an idea. There's some other ideas that he, as he sowed it, was kind of like consecrating it to some other deity, you know, kind of a symbolic thing. Um, there's other ideas. I'm, I'm not sure. I Something, I think, symbolic going on here. Or maybe a way of not really making the soil infertile, but saying, let this city never never rise again. That sort of idea. Well, the battle's not over, though, because if you read on, something else happens. So these scenes just keep coming. The verses 46 through 49, the battle continues. And these leaders, and I think here it's, as you look at um, 46, when all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem, I think, I'm just going to go with they're the same as the leaders of Shechem. These aren't kind of two separate groups, but 
they flee to this, this place called a Migdal. It's a tower, a strong tower. Now, I've actually got a picture of it, the Tower of Shechem. Thank you, Caleb. This is fascinating. It's still there. You can look at where this was. Now, there's, it kind of looks like it was ruined, right? It's still there in, uh, in Shechem or, or Nabus or however you say the, the current name of where, where it's at. Here's, what, here's an explanation. I got this picture from this guy named Farrell Jenkins, took the picture, and he quotes this Dr. Bryant Wood. This, this was really helpful, so I'll just read from him for you. He says, because you, you might be confused. All these pla- there's Beth Milo, and there's this, this you know, El Barit, and there's all these different places mentioned. This Dr. Wood thinks they're all part of the same. They all appear, all these mentions of Baal Barit, Beth Milo, House of Their God, Tower of Shechem, all appear to be the same structure at Shechem. Now he describes it. A large fortress or Migdal temple discovered on the Acropolis of Shechem has been identified as the Temple of Judges 9. It was constructed in the 17th century, 1600s BC, and lasted until the destruction of the city by Abimelech in the 12th century, or like 1100s. The largest temple yet found in Canaan. It, and there's some measurements, but he says the foundations are 5.1 meters thick that they supported, if you can kind of build up from there, they supported a multi-storied superstructure of mud bricks and timber. On the east, two towers, I think that might be the, maybe the round parts, I'm not sure. On the east, uh, two towers containing stairwells to the upper stories flanked the entrance. I just think that's fascinating. You can go over and see this very, what took place, it's still, it's still there. But alas, we see it not in its high state, is it? Because Abimelech and his crew, they go, down to, they go to Mount Zalman. I don't know where that is. And they gather all the firewood. You know, gather it, look at, do like I'm doing, gather the wood, and they bring it down and they set this place on fire. And within it, we read, a thousand men and women were killed. They died. Destruction continues to come. To make you think of Proverbs, it's 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Same word. It's a strong migdol. They, they missed it. The leaders of Shechem went to the wrong tower. And so did Abimelech. They were all in the wrong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. There are not remnants of God's tower broken down. It will never break down. That's the Lord that we trust in, and they ought to have, but they did not look to Him. All right, well, all this fire and destruction is actually going to come around and turn then on Abimelech because he heads from there. Now I'm in verses 50 through 54. He heads to a place called Thebes. Now, Thebes, or Th- I guess it's nine miles northeast. So I don't, why he went there? I don't know, I didn't write it down. But he goes there, maybe he's kind of on this fire kick. That was fun to build a fire and take down a tower. I will go do that at another place. I don't know what's, but what's behind him? Remember, I just said we don't know what's behind him. God's sovereignly directing this whole judgment. And so Abimelech heads to Thebes, and that city flees to their tower, interestingly. 
But guess what? One woman takes an upper millstone with her. Got one more picture of millstones here. Now, maybe some of you are better at this than I. I don't know what's the upper and lower. Maybe that one looks like a lower millstone. She took an upper millstone. I read somewhere maybe four to five pounds. Maybe it's heavier. You know, you grind the grind the wheat with it. Grind to the to the flour with the millstone. All right, Dale Davis says this. Picture husband and wife. The wife has the upper millstone running to the tower. Here's a conversation he envisions. One can just imagine a husband panting beside his wife as they run to refuge in the Thebes Tower. Exasperated that his wife insists on lugging her upper millstone along. Doubtless she responded, Now dear, you never know when you might need a good millstone. I don't know why. I just find it comical when I, when I read some of that. You can picture it. Why'd she bring a whole upper millstone up into the tower? It's a lot to carry. It could be, you know, you think of like, it's her special, you know, like pampered chip. This is, I am not losing this thing. I'm, we're, you know, it's me. I got my husband, kids, and my millstone, and we're going. Something like that. I don't know. But she, she wanted, and it makes sense. It, I mean, it was huge for them. This was their whole well, I don't say whole, I don't know. All the his, this was a lot of their kitchen, though. This was it, you know. If you're going to bring that. Well, all the humor aside, this woman does something in God's sovereign plan with a millstone, with her, her cooking utensil, her cooking uh, millstone. Just like, remember, the woman and the tent peg? She's going to use this millstone and she's going to bring Abimelech's evil deeds upon him. So Abimelech's down somewhere at the door of the tower. Maybe he's making a fire, something like that, tending it. Hey, we're going we're gonna to burn this place down. And it says she takes the millstone and throws it. And guess where it lands? Right where God intended it to land and crushes Abimelech's head. But he doesn't die right then because the text tells us he goes to his soldier Put a sword through me. I don't want it known that a woman killed me. Here's what's fascinating. We just read about it. He didn't keep it a secret. It was no secret that a woman killed him. We just read the whole account. All of history has read this account about Abimelech and how he was killed. He tried to even hide this last thing. He could not. God's judgment was meted out on him. And so the fire goes out. The evil goes out. And in verse 55, everybody goes home from there. That's what we see, verse 55. Our little application, then we'll look at these last few verses. We've got, I don't know how your pictures are coming along, it's a pretty graphic account of the mess that sin creates. Abimelech's got a lust for power. Shechem blindly follows him instead of the Lord. They close their ears to God's gracious words. Remember Jotham you're going to be cursed if you did this. It's coming. You know, we're not, we're not listening. They closed their ears. They muted God. They failed to listen to Him. And what results? God's judgment in a bonfire of destruction and death. Those that have sown evil, they find that they will harvest what they have sown. It's that the, the reaping of what has been sown. Well, the writer, I think, helpfully 
brings us to a conclusion in verses 56 and 57. Read that with me. Look, look at there. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. I read it really quick. Thus God. See that? God returned the evil. Then verse 57. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. Abimelech and Shechem, they could not escape this mighty hand of God. Nor can anyone. But whatever, you know, we look at this, whatever destruction they faced, as, as painful as it is to have a millstone fall on your head and to be burned in a tower, that was just the beginning. They would suffer and have been suffering infinitely more as they went to the grave to suffer in hell for ever apart from the presence of the Lord. Infinitely worse than these couple of bad days for them. God's judgment will come against sin and evil as He has said. I want to close with just two applications from these last verses and you might say even kind of the whole account. Just two applications that that this ought to do for us. One, number one, it ought to reopen our eyes and sober us that God, God will in fact return men's evil upon them. There's an accounting for evil. Judgment will come upon evil. Men and women never get away with evil, even though we might say they got away with that. They, they did not. Maybe not right now. Maybe three years. Maybe they didn't. God sees, and, and God alone will judge, and He will punish the evil. Hebrews 9.27, familiar to many of you. It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes, comes judgment. The thing is, all of us here are in fact deserving this same fate as Abimelech and Shechem. You may not have killed 70 sons, but have you, as Jesus would point, have you in anger, have you wished harm on another? Or First uh, John talks about hating your brother, which that's what First John calls murder. Have you done any of that? We're, no, we're, we're really in no different boat. We can't look at Abimelech and go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. That's not me. Or maybe we've worshipped other gods of arm making. Worshipped, as Roman talks about, the creation instead of the Creator. We've worshipped food or money or sexual pleasure or, or my image, these sorts of things, rather than worshipping God alone. And we are due a millstone. It's a healthy fear. That's what we're due. But in God's grace, that's why we come here to worship. In God's grace, His Son took the stone for sinners like you and me. That's what the Lord offers. He offers forgiveness through the One who was wounded and bore that judgment, bore it on that tree for sinners like you and me. His name is Jesus Christ. My question for you and me, on what will you stand before the Lord one day? There are the shaky and uneven and untrustworthy grounds of our own merit. Or will you stand on the merit of the righteous, holy one named Jesus Christ? Judgment is coming. My 
I encourage you to turn from sin. And when you hear that word of, this is not right, this is not good, to turn, and, and in so turning, that's repentance and looking to Jesus, to the cross. If you've not done that in your life, to see that, I encourage today, July 11th, to do that. And to repent. Repent means I have sinned. I deserve the stone for my sin. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And look to Him. And then number two, lastly, that this application from this longer passage, it ought to give us comfort when we see evil and wickedness around us. To give comfort. I mean, we, we deal with that, Lord, but by Your grace, I'm in the same boat as the rest of culture that we, we talk about. But God will deal with it. You see evil on the TV or you see it somewhere or through your news feed or whatever it is, God will deal with it. He sees it. There's comfort in that. He will deal with it in His timing according to His plan, but He will avenge. He's the original avenger, right? Some of you are into that. That's who God is. And we might see evil and we wonder, when will this end? And we can take part. The one, there is one, the Lord. He will ultimately, justly judge in His timing. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will deal with it. And so let us entrust our souls to a faithful Creator while we do good. Let's pray together. Lord, we've talked in this in this message some about to be careful of what our ears, be careful little ears what you hear. Lord, Shechem and Abimelech could not hear from you and we pray that you again would open our ears to hear of your holiness. That as we sing about holiness, holiness, it's what I long for. Lord, give us ears and eyes to long for your holiness, to see your beauty and glory. And may we find any other thing that would steal that glory just tasting terrible. May we not listen to the impulse of the flesh that remains till we're with you one day, the flesh that says, that's, that's good, take some of that. Lord, may we, may we be listening to you in our lives. We thank you for the comfort that you judge and you do everything good and everything is under your sovereign hand. Nothing Zero, no molecules are outside of your plan. We thank you for that, Lord. We don't understand it all. Those that are in the midst of evil today, that are experiencing it in their own lives, may you give them comfort. May your grace speak to them to wait on you. May you guide us that have maybe become okay with a little bit of evil here and there. We're just okay with a little bit of sin in a pocket. Lord, expose the pockets that we would be a holy people to sing the excellencies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.